okay. So, remember now, we did, I think last year, we unpacked the meaning of righteousness. Now that we look at it, I know that it seems so simple and straightforward. But we know that surrounding the simple, straightforward picture, there's a huge amount of impact and truth. So, righteousness simply is... Um, the one that not veering off the road. So a righteous person is one that didn't veer off the road. Okay, that's it. <coughs> so we understand that we're not looking at the Greek-Roman uh, understanding of righteousness. Righteousness in the Roman-Greek thought uh, uh, or idea or concept is that you'd only do good things, not bad things. We understand that righteousness in, in its true meaning is walking out the road that God has prepared for you. So His will, without veering to the left or the right. I'm going to pick it up here because this practically is going to impact how we experience life. Okay. So, if there is un, if there's discomfort experienced in your day, in your life, in your week. If there's an aspect of discomfort, you have to start looking at in which area of your life, thoughts, ideas, especially your consciousness, your heart consciousness of God and His righteousness and your positioning in Him, in which area did you veer off the truth? That is it. So it's very simple. Grace works on this road of righteousness. The road of righteousness is all the work of God in Messiah is done and He calls us by His call to reposition on a very specifically determined, unchanging path that is the will for your life and the will for your life, your destiny, fits into His bigger plan for His body. So He'll, he'll govern your life reposition you so that you can be rightly positioned within the body because the purpose of your life on earth is to bless the body, serve the body, be a part of the body in blessing and servitude. Right. So, within grace, that is a surrounding wall that protects the seed, we all look to the inside where the seed, the body is, where, so we, we turn our backs on the world around, although we function in the world, we are looking towards the body. Okay. The way we walk it out, it's very important, is we never walk it out looking at each other. We are facing the same direction on the road that is righteousness. So, although we're walking it out together, I'm not looking at you and you're not looking at me. If you want my attention, I'm going to say no to you because I'm looking at the road. Okay. Same as when we are driving. Okay. So... It's all good and well if you want my attention while I'm driving, but if we make an accident, it's your fault. <laughs> okay. Right. Pretty easy to understand this. And this plan of God for our lives, the plan of salvation, the plan, the, the truth of everything, righteousness, uh, the fact that grace brings the finished work in Messiah, the finished work of Yahweh in Messiah, by the Spirit, this is grace, brings it from eternity into our lives as we're moving forward through time closer to His, 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 His 
perfect redemption, His perfect sanctification of me as a person and the body. We're moving forward in time. Grace brings the next step to me. All I have to do is respond in obedience to the next step. That's grace. But grace only works according to the straight path of righteousness. So if, you go, if any person is going to, in his thoughts, in his desires, in his action, the way that he responds to life moves off the righteous road, then grace's work is to bring you back there. So now you have an opposite force working against you to push you back on the righteous road. The moment that we don't allow it to push us back, we have now started resisting the Holy Spirit. So grace here does not excuse our actions or our thoughts. It doesn't justify or sanctify it, although we've been justified here, there will be consequences contrary to rest, peace, all those things. Okay. And it might even manifest as a seeming loss of um, provision in all things. We're talking provision by God in all things. So, repenting is coming back to the image of God, the Spirit of God, as He leads us in the same road, the same way as Messiah walked. And this is fashioned after God's own righteousness, with other words, before He even started creating, He determined the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He made it very, very clear. So He, he, he um, formulated clearly His will. He expressed His will firstly to the Son. That's why the Son became the Word. The Word didn't just accept or agree with the words that, the God, that, that uh, God the Father spoke. So God the Father begot Him, then expressed His entire world to Him. How beautiful is a relationship where all is expressed. All is expressed. And then, because all was expressed to the Son, and he not only agreed with it, he accepted it, then he became it. This is very important to understand. That when we are exposed to the will of God, and we don't just nod our heads, we walk into the will of God, we become the will of God. He shows us again the road, the way to respond to God. So he becomes the will of God. Now there's nothing in him except the will of God. There's no part of Yahushua the Son that is not according to the will and the person of God. So now there's the oneness. Not just the oneness of will, the oneness in all things. Now He, in becoming the will of the Father, becomes the Word. Because all that has been expressed to Him by the Father now becomes His nature. He is being His image. So He becomes the image and the expression of God the Father Himself. That we understand it. It's important for us to understand because we want to adjust our beings, our ways, not just our lives, but our beings, to the truth of who they are. Because where I'm coming from, there was no truth. The idea I had of myself was a lie. The profile of who I think I was was just a composite, a composition of different little pieces of information that I thought I liked or didn't like, and I pasted it together 
to create a self because there was no reality to anything. So we end up actually becoming an idea that we created within ourselves. Okay, our mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and friends helped. And then, of course, Hollywood determined the rest. <laughs> so we um, fashioned something, some idea, some image. Mm. Now what he does is he sets us free from that image. Mm. And now we behold who they are, how they do things, how they, how they let us know, the son, the father, how they exist. And we, we long to have everything changed to be equal, the same to that. That's believing. Existing in full agreement, in, in, in action and in thought, in, in form, to exist according to something else that's believing. Right, we got that. Okay, so the picture forms. And then, so with other words, God the Father from before we created made the end of the plan clear and now His righteousness is revealed that no matter what you can throw in a trillion different scenarios into the, this thing, the dynamic. He's going to do everything according to what He said. That's the righteousness of God. And so the picture remains the same. So we see that faith for Abraham is this was revealed to him the New Jerusalem before there was even a thought of another city. He responds to it, he sees his descendants in it, and he that is uh, so righteousness is imputed to him because of faith. So that's faith. So from the knowledge of the finished work of God, God imparts his knowledge of his finished work, shows it to Abraham. Abraham responds. Faith to faith, right? Okay, so we've got these concepts, we've done them. So faith then becomes a what? Point A, we live on earth, God starts revealing His perfect will, a homeland that He has prepared for us to us, and we start living towards New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem, right? So point A, this is point B, and a straight path. So faith becomes exactly the same as righteousness. And this is all fashioned according to the righteousness of Yahweh. Right. So, the Bible starts basically becoming a very understandable um, commandment from God. Okay. Let's continue from there. Now we can have that board. So our study of Romans. So what is Romans? The book of Romans. Romans is an exposition, a very thorough explanation of the gospel, a very thorough explanation of the will of God. So what is the gospel? A gospel that's just about God wants to save you, forgive your sins so that you can go to heaven, is a very watered down <clears throat> ineffective version of the true gospel. The gospel in actuality is the will of God revealed. But it's the gospel of Messiah. Right, okay. Okay, so what we did here is to just lift out a thought pattern. We lifted it out of the different verses. We're going to read through it again and then we, we're going to do the same because today we're going to look at chapter 1 and the whole thought pattern in chapter 1 of Romans. All right. 
the gospel of Messiah, the power of salvation to everyone who believes, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Now that's the big, big sentence in Romans. You'll see, you'll start to pick up, and this is what we try to, to show, that all through the book of Romans, now the righteousness of God becomes an anchoring truth. But he doesn't say it outright. He doesn't tell you, look, look out for the righteousness of God in what I'm writing. Obviously, it's Paul. He, Paul just works it in there for the discerning and the, and the uh, serious seeker. Okay. Gospel of Messiah, power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So when we think gospel, now one of the most difficult uh, searches in my walk with God was to figure out the gospel. Because for the first few years in the church, I couldn't figure out what the gospel was. They kept telling me it's simple, and I kept going like, this can't be it, okay? There's to be something more. The Gospel of Messiah says, it says the righteousness of God is revealed into it, in it, okay? And then they go like, no, just put up your hand, invite him into your heart, and you're saved. And I go like, sounds, doesn't sound right. Okay, so let's see what it says. <clears throat> and the wrath of God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man... Right, now we see what is revealed also, not only the, in the gospel of Messiah, the righteousness of God is revealed, also the wrath of God against ungodliness and unrighteousness of man is revealed. See, it's got a lot more weight to it. Now, we have already said this in the past, the entire Bible has two huge truths to it. Everything in the Bible works according to the two mysteries, the mystery of godliness and the mystery of ungodliness. Everything in the Bible is going to have something to do with the mystery of godliness and ungodliness. Okay, now. Eternal life to those who continue as opposed to those who are self-seeking. Right, so now we know that when the law was given, the person that was righteous by the law was the one who continued in the law. A lot of people think, well, you've just got to get all the things of the law. You've got to continue in the law. And now, when it comes to the, the law of faith, it has the same aspect to it, the same importance to it. You have to continue in faith. Uh, how many scriptures talk about continuing in faith? So now, those who are continuing, it says it very clearly. <clears throat> eternal life to those who continue. And we're not saying now, if you don't continue, you lose your eternal life. We don't kind of simplify it. Uh, uh, into that, okay? As opposed to those who are self-seeking. Now it reveals to us the opposite to continuing in the righteousness of God and the gospel of Messiah. Self-seeking. So when our eyes, our attention starts turning back to self, we don't continue anymore. Remember the principle of continuance. Progression. So we progress, we're moving and we're moving according to grace in the will of God, which always will bring growth and, and be walking into the blessedness. But the moment we turn to ourselves, the continuance stop. That's when we start becoming upset um, and all those things. Okay. Those who are self-seeking, not obeying the truth, not obeying the truth, on the day of judgment, the wrath and righteousness of God is revealed, that He may be justified in His words, and may overcome when he judges. Remember, we looked at what it says in uh, the psalm that is quoted by Paul, and this, 
And this is where we, we, we zoomed in on the fact that on that day, the Day of Judgment isn't just that about dividing, it's about that as well and so on. But God will show that He's justified in everything that He says and has said. A big deal. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I, I, I just want to, man, I want the front row seat together with everybody else. Um, for all have sinned, all have sinned, and every mouth stopped. For by the law is the knowledge of sin that witnesses that the righteousness of God, of God apart from the law is revealed, freely justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Messiah, Yahushua, whom God set forth to demonstrate His righteousness, for the promise comes through the righteousness of faith according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed and imputed to us who believe in Him who raised Yahushua, who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. Now here again, we got to a very important anchoring truth that it is in His resurrection that our justification takes form and so he comes back after he presents his blood as the high priest uh, the sin that was in the body while the body was in the grave all the sin of the world of every person is in the body he's judged according to God's righteous judgment his sacrifice is accepted and now he comes back and he takes he comes back for his body and what was once flesh and sinful becomes, um, although he didn't sin, he died unrighteous according to the law, outside of the city. Now he comes back. The sin is washed away. He takes his body and what was once bound in the flesh, now is set free in the spirit and we have a risen Messiah. Which is very, very important because in that lies our justification. Now, by which we have... Peace with God. Now we know that when we read peace, we, we read covenant. Covenant of Shalom, eternal covenant. Starts with the promises, the interaction with God and the promises with Abraham, where the promise is made to the seed. And we know that that goes all the way back to where we come from and where we will be. With God and access into His grace in which we stand, the grace of God. And the gift by the grace of the one man abounded to many resulted in justification so that those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one. Now then he goes, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. So, I know this sounds complicated, but what jumps out, the reason we did this, is what jumps out is this grace-righteousness-faith connection. Okay, so, I'm going to have a bit of more look. So we said, keep this in mind. So grace cancels out works and works cancels out grace. Now this is, has been a very uh, focused intention, a purpose 
that we have worked into our teachings over the last two years. Because us humans struggle to leave behind the consciousness of the tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil. We, our intention is not to eat of it. But in practice, we have a need to return to it. But slowly but surely, as we walk on this road of righteousness, we move further and further away from that tree. Now it says that sin was in the world, and the way that it works is in the beginning, before law was given, sin was in the world. Adam was in the garden, God says, don't worry about that tree. Not for you. Don't give it a thought. Still it was a commandment. So it wasn't something that Adam had to consciously work on. So the whole garden is full of food, full of trees with fruit. There's the tree of life. I personally, I would have camped there. I think that's where I would have slept and lived. But the tree of life is there. Now, Adam isn't walking. Get the picture. This picture is important for us to continue with the study. He's not walking through the garden going, don't eat of the tree, don't eat of the tree, don't, go, don't look at that tree, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. He's not doing that. A works law consciousness is not how it started out. He's going like, whole garden, walks past the tree, he's going like, oh, that, that one doesn't matter. Just let's carry on. Right? So what did Satan do? He comes and he fixes Eve's attention on the tree first. Okay, now keep that in mind. So grace uh, cancels out works and works cancels out grace. Okay, so the moment we go into works of righteousness... And it has to be according to the knowledge of good and evil which manifested as the law. The moment we go into that, you cancel out grace. <clears throat> Death cancelled out, cancels out life, and life cancels out grace. Grace? Uh, you know life, what I'm saying. Life cancels out death. Life so does what not does, cancel out grace. So what does blessing and curses do? The question is, does curses cancel out the blessing? So we baptized free from the curse. You know, there's stickers going around, I'm blessed beyond the curse. Now you're baptized beyond the curse. Okay? But then blessing, we come into the blessedness of Abraham comes upon us. And uh, let's uh, focus on this. The Spirit cancels out. The Holy Spirit cancels out flesh. But the flesh can cancel out the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Bible says you can walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit. Okay, keep that in mind. Let's carry on. Okay, so we did a... It's not a summary of Romans, but we did a summary of a certain thought pattern, again, like we did there, different thought pattern that we've put on the board. So, um, and then later we're going to bring in some other books as well. So let's go to Romans chapter 1. Oh, we didn't write there, but it starts at verse 1. So we're just doing a nice uh, practical study through the text this week. So less... Prophetic revelation, more text. Okay. Okay. Paul, a bondservant of Yahushua HaMashiach. He starts off by bondservant. He's going to continue. Well, he starts <laughs> off with his name. Paul. <laughs> much, much revelation there. <laughs> Paul. So bondservant. He's going to continue with this thought pattern. In the beginning, he's going to interject. He always does this. He's going to put some things in place and he's going to actually tell us what he's going to um, expound on through the rest of the text. 
as he continues with his thought pattern. He always does this. He does what God does. He, 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 he reveals the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. So if you read these letters, you're going to pick up, if you know what to look for, you're going to pick up what he's going to talk about. He's always obedient to God's pattern. So bond servant later on is going to see, say that we have now become slaves to righteousness. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So we put on the board the separation. Obviously, early on, Paul's going to make a commentary about the separation. Uh, and we just fixed it there to say the gospel of Yahweh because God is generic. Okay. Right. So what it would have said is the gospel of Yahweh. Very important because of the meaning of the name, uh, the positioning of the name, the eternal truth of the name from the moment that he identifies himself. Because that links to his righteousness. He says to Moses, tell them, when Moses says, who sent me? Go to the Israelites and tell them. And then he reveals in his name his intention to, to finish his will. Very important. And Paul is doing this on purpose. It's not just a greeting. Okay. Now, when we talk about separation, the Hebrew root for the word holiness, remember this, holiness, and the Hebrew uh, root for the word um, sanctification is simply separated. So God is holy because He's separated from creation and from human nature. Okay, so we get that. Okay. Um, so, separated to the gospel of Yahweh, which Yahweh promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Yahushua, Hamashiach, our Lord. I uh, just want to see if I should read it from there or from here. Okay, I'll just continue here for now. Uh, which he promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Yahushua HaMashiach, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and, to, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. So there we have holiness separation again. By the resurrection from the dead. So here in the introduction, so we're trying to teach each other and to learn how to read, reading the truth the aspects of the truth into the text, so that we actually teach our mind to see what he's writing. So, he's now going to establish the truth of the uh, Son of God and God himself coming as a man. So the seed of David, he's establishing that truth. He's not just saying it as a good introduction. He's now referring and confirming that the prophets prophesied about the Messiah, that he was uh, born according. So he's confirming here, he's born according to the pro uh, prophecies, into the lineage of King David, according to the prophecies. That's why he's interjecting it here. But so what he's... Can hmm? I do I? Okay. What he's doing now, and this is why we, we rewrote it a little bit, not rewrote, but we said the gospel was promised to his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, and then... Uh, is that a semicolon? Colon. Colon. A double pit. Okay. Um, because now what he's going to do is he's just said the gospel of Yahweh, but now he's going to have to quickly define what he means. 
so that they don't get confused about which one he's going to specify for them which gospel he's referring to. Okay, so he says concerning his son, so first of all, his son, there we go, there's one, Yahushua HaMashiach, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So now there's that whole the Son of God became the Son of Man, but not just randomly, through a specific lineage according to prophecies. Um, also, quick reference to the seed. So he's doing a lot in the introduction to make it very specific and clear about what he's going to explain now. Um, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, the spirit of separation. So it's not that he operated from his own power, he operated from the power of the spirit of separation, the spirit of Yahweh, by the resurrection from the dead. And this is what we said there, when we looked at the righteousness and all of that, we said there's an anchoring point in there that says, if it weren't for the resurrection, then there would be the element of sins being forgiven, but there is no salvation without the resurrection. So, so any gospel has to, any, the gospel of Yahweh has to finish. If it's the true gospel, it has to end with resurrection. It cannot end Always. just with sins being forgiven. It has to end with resurrection. And that's why he ends it there, the, the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Yahushua HaMashiach. Okay, so now very important, now he's saying among all the nations you are also the called. So he's bringing the calling in, which links to the justification uh, will of God. So you see what he's doing? He's basically working a summing up of the gospel into the greeting. So that from the start he places the authority of the true gospel in place, so that there's no confusion mm. who he's talking to and what he is talking about. So we get that. Okay. Then he goes, verse 7, To all who are in Rome, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now you'll see we put this, verse 7, in the third line, in the middle, verse 7, saints, question mark. <clears throat> so, saints, I don't know if anyone knows this, I sort of knew this, but didn't actually know this until this week. So, um, saints, very specifically, was what the Israelites were called because the promises were made to them and they were, up until this time, the Israelites were the, the elect. So they were the nation of God, the nation that God chose, the people that God chose, and so they were referred to as saints. But now Paul is making a very bold statement in quickly summing up the gospel and then going to all who are in Rome, Rome of all places, beloved of God, called to be saints. So now he's making it clear, he's speaking first of all to a very specific audience, but he's calling them not just the elect of God, but the same as what the Israelites were when they were the chosen nation of God. Does that make sense? So saints is the Greek version of elect. Okay, what the church has done is they've changed the, the idea of saints started to morph into someone especially good and saintly. This was not this meaning uh, that Paul is interjecting here, because the calling is according to the election of God. Same as he separated the Israelites from the rest of the nations unto himself, 
they became the elect. Now, this is very important to understand, that according to the dispensation of grace, he's now speaking to people in Rome, says that they called to be elect. And that speaks about the calling in to be grafted into the olive tree. Right, remember that. He's, so, everything he's saying here is going to unfold as he continues with his letter to the Romans. But he's got this brilliant way of just summing all his intentions up, and then he's going to expound on it later. Okay. Then, he says, grace to you and peace from our God. Now, what he's doing here is not, it isn't just a formal greeting. You remember, he, just a bit high up, he said, um, we have, through him, we have received grace. He is again, he's busy with separation. That's why he's emphasizing separation. And now he says, together, uh, in, through him, we have received grace. And remember, grace is the continuing wall, is the surrounding wall that, um, for, the, for the continuing of the seed. That's grace from the beginning. And so that's the tented camp with the family on the inside, everything else is excluded. There's a reason why he's not emphasizing grace twice. He's saying, saints, those of you that are called to become the elect, we have received grace. He's saying we have received a call to be separated and included, which becomes the body uh, in our time, right now. And then he goes again, grace to you, uh, all the blessing and provision within the covenant of Shalom to you according to the inclusion that comes by His justification according to election. And then he goes, and peace. So twice in one sentence he is extending to them a greeting according to the covenant because it's the covenant of Shalom. So he's not just saying, I hope everything goes well with you and you don't have troubles. That's not what he's saying. Okay. So it changes, if we understand these things, it governs the way we understand grace. And grace becomes always the, the straight path. No confusion about grace and peace. Right. Continue. Okay. So now we're not going to necessarily do every verse. We're going to do thought patterns. Okay. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Yahushua HaMashiach for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, we did a... Where is it? Oh, verse 9. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he wrote God witness. So, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. The beginning of verse 9. What is he saying? What does it mean? For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Tell them. You can tell them. Okay. Yeah, he's again referring to the separation. So he's saying, I serve God in my spirit. Serve God in my spirit. When he's referring to God is my witness, go to the scripture. Hmm. God is my witness. He's not just saying something randomly. He'll never do that. So we link this with 1 Corinthians 1 verse 6. <clears throat> that says, even as the testimony of Messiah was confirmed in you. Which, interestingly enough, we did like almost exactly a year ago. Is that so? Yeah. Remember the testimony of, uh, when the testimony of Messiah was confirmed in you. What does that mean? 
The testimony of Messiah was confirmed in you. So that is the core. According to your name being written in the book of life from the foundation of the earth. Okay. The testimony of Messiah that you are part of his redemption work and plan. Raised with, together with him. Now manifested. Still dead in your sin. The witness in you is confirmed by the core. Right. So that's why he's saying, as God is my witness, I serve him in my spirit. So he's making it very clear, because in chapter 7, he's going to explain how the, the sin was placed in the flesh, and we were raised in the spirit, resurrected in the spirit, and now we walk in the spirit, serving him in the spirit, but you can't serve him in the flesh. And that's why he's expounding on the difference between serving him with, through the law, or righteousness that comes by the law, and righteousness that comes by faith. So, in, throughout the book, right here, he's, making, he's putting a lot of emphasis on that separation. He serves God in his spirit. Okay, according to who God called him to be. Making sense? Okay, uh, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Now, we're not going to expound on this yet, but make a mental note of verse 11. We're going to link that later. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So he wrote down there, uh, verse 12, encouraged by mutual faith, but he says the mutual faith. So not your, the stuff that you're believing for and the stuff that I'm believing for. So it's not a mutual faith that you believe in, I'm believing in somewhere there's a similarity. It's the, the mutual faith. Why is this important? Because what has happened over time is the church began to apply the let's, let's, let's encourage each other through our faith. And what did they do? Someone's going to come to the front and say, 22 years ago. I was sick, and I prayed, and God healed me. Everyone's encouraged. Okay. Then you're surprised. Three weeks later, the same lady's in the front. She goes like, 22 years ago, I was sick, and I was healed. Everyone's encouraged. Okay, so they have changed that from our mutual faith to what did your faith get you, and what did your faith get you, and what did your faith get you. And inevitably... Someone's going to go like, I didn't have a job, and I prayed, and I got one. And everybody's, that's great. Okay, so that is part of the outworking of our mutual faith. But that wasn't the intention of how we encourage each other. Okay, but that has now become the substance of the encouragement. So we've moved from the substance of what faith is, to how we actually, in our returning, repenting into uh, uh, we only brought, so we had a need, we brought our attention because of the need back to God and inevitably started moving on to the road of righteousness again and voila, provision was flowing because of the covenant that we have. So maybe we should have just remained on the road from the beginning. See, sometimes it will allow difficulty in our lives to give us a pause so that we can redirect our hearts and our minds to his ways, to his word, and uh, so on. But do you see how it works? So that's the, just a side note, actually, the encouraging bit that should take place. 
we encourage each other by the substance of our faith, which is the scriptures, <coughs> his truth, and his will. Okay. We can still do the testimony bit, but that's not the... Uh, okay. Okay. Okay, now let's skip to verse 16. <clears throat> for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, we'll look at this a bit more, but now just in looking at the construct of the letter. So he goes, quick synopsis of the gospel, then encouragement, and then he goes two verses about the righteousness of God being revealed in the gospel from faith to faith. And then he goes into, for the wrath of God is revealed. And now we know that for the next two, three chapters, things are going to get a little bit heavy. And then he's going to come back to the righteousness of God and start explaining that. But so it's very important to start picking it up here because the fact that he mentions it here and then later again in chapter, the end of chapter 3 means that it's not a separate idea and then the wrath of God and then a separate idea again. It's creating a unit. So all of this forms one thought pattern. Okay. Do we want to explain any, any part here explicitly now? Let's just pay, pay attention to the just shall live by faith. The just. So the just, remember it says that he justifies the circumcised, uncircumcised, uh, he justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Remember that. So now he says those who he justifies shall live by faith. So it's again um, not a command, oh, if you are just, then you better live by faith. Not that way around. Other way around. So those that he have justified, because he have justified us, he made available, he made it possible for us to, to walk that straight road of faith. Make sense? Okay. Let's continue from there. Okay. So, from faith to faith, because the next verse is going to start with, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And now we're looking again at those two audiences. So first of all, we have... The gospel, because we said there, I'm linking this to all that we did on that board. Okay, so first of all, we said that the, over there we said the gospel is revealing the righteousness of God. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. But then we also see the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And so I want to bring in just this, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Uh, because I'm afraid we're not going to get back to it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we said here that. Give me a We're here. Faith is. Okay, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things <coughs> not seen. And we understand that faith is a revelation that God gives of his finished work. Okay. So faith is now not only my response to what God has done, but faith has substance. Faith exists. Okay, so faith is over there. But now it says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And when we looked at righteousness, the whole righteousness faith dynamic, we know that faith has substance over here, but I'm responding to faith over here. 
So although the substance of faith is in the finished work, God is going to gift me with faith while I'm here so I can respond in faith. So in other words, faith is now found in two places. Not only in the finished work, but also where I am because I'm responding in faith. Okay, so he says the righteousness of God, which is the straight road, God is going to do everything the way he said he would. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. From the finished work to where I am responding to the finished work in a straight line. So we're going to come back to this later because um, it, we'll have to do this again when we do the lifting of the veil. But think of it this, just look at this woman and behold it. So it says that Abraham did not consider the deadness of his own body. Voila, gospel. It says that while you were still dead in your sin, he died for you. Okay, so you were made alive from his side because of his sacrifice and his call while you're dead in your sin. So faith, when Abraham was, he didn't respond to the deadness of his own body or the womb of Sarah. What is that meaning? That God speaks to him according to the finished work in the new Jerusalem that he reveals to him. The place is populated. With whom? The children and the grandchildren of Abraham. Now God speaks to him and says, I will give you an inheritance in the son. So God speaks. He calls that which is dead as if it's alive, that which doesn't exist as if it exists. So he speaks according to the reality of all those who lived, died, and was resurrected, that are now eternally alive in the new Jerusalem. He speaks this to Abraham's dead body that contains the seed. From faith to faith. Okay, so from that seed to the seed that hasn't even manifested yet, but it is in Abraham. Abraham, not considering his own deadness, the same as we responded when he spoke into my deadness in sin. How did I believe I could be alive? All I knew was death. How could I know? How could I believe that I could know holiness, righteousness, and justification? All I have known is sin. See how it works. And yet, somehow, the seed responds out of the deadness. So, I'm hoping from faith to faith is starting to make a bit more sense. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Now, in the same thought pattern, now he continues from there and he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. From verse 19, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Wait, I'm going to read the whole thing. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Now we're going to treat this whole thing as a unit. And explain what's going on, because we're, we're creating a storyline. Okay. So, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now he goes, let's do verse 21. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What is revealed? 
what is revealed. Look at it, look at it carefully, look with new eyes, forget all the hundreds of teachings that's been done and preachers that's been done that because he created the big mountains and the great ocean, that's how he revealed to us how powerful it is. That's true, but it's a small part of a bigger truth, right? Look at it with new eyes. So what does it mean when he says, for since the creation of the world? Then it continues. So what does it mean? So keep this in mind. What does it mean when it says, for since the creation of the world, and then continuing, his invisible attributes are clearly seen? Okay, good explain. Okay. <clears throat> so since the creation, we can think, okay, so somewhere around creation, does this mean from the moment that he starts creating or the moment that he's done creating. But it says, for since the creation of the world. And now we know that he starts on day one and he says, let there be light. And then it's very interesting to take note that every day for the six days that he creates, it says that he creates something and then when it's done, he considers it and he says, it is good. Then he creates the next day and then he says, he considers it and he says, it is good until the seventh day when he has finished all his work and sat down to rest because all his work was finished. Okay, so that was the answer in a weird mystical form. So for since the creation of the world, so every day God creates from day one to day six creates exactly the way he intended. So he says, let there be, let there be. And then considers it and says, yes, this is good. This is what I intended to create. It's the way I intended to create it. And this is how it has manifested for six days. And then on the seventh day, it says that he sat down from all his works, rested from all his works, because all his work was finished on the seventh day. But then man came and messed it up and he had to get back up. <laughs> Thought I was finished. I said it was good already, Adam. <laughs> so now God, he just sat down to rest. Now he's got to get back up and just go fix the mess. Right? So that's how the storyline goes. For some reason, that's how the storyline goes in most people's minds. <clears throat> that's what they think that happened. So they come up with an entire storyline, entire interpretation of the scriptures with an entire gospel to go with that mindset. He created everything, then we messed it up, and then he had to jump in, roll up his sleeves, yeah. And do something about it. Really, that's how they have done the entire Bible and the Gospel. It's not that. Okay, so what it says, it gives us two things that was revealed in man, in us. What was revealed in us? His eternal power and His Godhead. And it just says that it was just seen and understood. Okay. Now, If we pick it up there, because what, what may be known of God is manifest in them. What may be known of God is manifest in them. 
what may be known of God is manifest in them, all men, all time. What may be known of God is manifest where? So what they've interpreted, they saw the word creation and then they went like anybody that sees a mountain in the ocean can go like, oh, of course there must be a God. That's what they interpreted, just because the word creation is there. It actually says from the beginning, from the beginning of creation. So he says in the beginning. Right? We know a beginning cannot be time, a moment. He says he's the beginning. So in the entire creation story, he already works in the entire gospel from start to finish. It finishes with him sitting down, having finished his work. That never changed. So in the creation act, everything had to be finished. That is why Messiah dies, are resurrected, goes back, and a man is created out of his perfection. It cannot be any other way. Right. But now, in every person, that which we might be known about God is manifested in us. What is that? His eternal power and His Godhead. Now, Godhead is what? The question to ask, because the Catholic Church defined Godhead as completely something um, pagan. So please, on record, we do not believe in the Trinity doctrine. Don't. Okay? It's false. Not right. But there is the Godhead that is revealed in us. Now we can look at that. Okay, right. So what's revealed firstly in us? What is the very cycle that we can all observe and know? Life and death. The circle of life. <laughs> Anybody that's alive in ourselves will have the manifestation of His eternal power and Godhead. Who is life? Who's the sustainer of life? Who has life in him? The scripture says life is in him. So anybody that is finding themselves alive has a manifestation of what may be known of God. The very life that we have. And knowing that we are alive. I'm not quite sure how dogs and cats think. Just, I've been asking, no answer. The, um, they know they're alive, but how much do they know they're alive? What is the, what is the awareness of life? Remember, every person, some, at some stage in their life, every single human being is going to have the thought, what is life? How does it work? Why am I alive? How does death work? No. What's the thing that puts emphasis on being alive? The fact that it ends. If we were just always going to be alive, we wouldn't consider being alive. So death punctuates the very reality of life. Doesn't it? Doesn't matter how pagan anybody is. Doesn't matter how atheist anybody is. At some point, they're going to stop and go like, what is life and what is death? They don't have a choice. So actually, the first thing that's manifest in us that may be known of God is the fact that we are alive and there is death. Now why death? Why is death so important in, in the understanding that God, the, the revelation of God? Why death? Because death is the, uh, what's the word? The, 
conclusion. The, the conclusion the result, of the, the yeah. wrath of God. So the, the wages of sin is death. Doesn't matter who's who, where they are. They're going to decide within themselves to deny the fact that it's because of sin that death exists. Yeah, we'll go there later. Continue. Okay, we'll go there later. Okay. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Now this glorify here, we have done glory, but this glorifying here is the... Um, the Hebraic uh, root idea behind glory uh, in, in our time. So the, 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 the valuing of something. The glory is yeah. uh, the weighing off the weighing out of the value of something or an object or a person in gold coins or in yeah. gold. So it's attributing a value, the correct value to something. Okay, so because, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, interesting, we looked at the word futile because it says they became futile in their thoughts. Now, futile comes from a Latin word which literally means leaky. <laughs> like a bottle with water that's leaky, so water drips out, right? So it says they became leaky in their thoughts, which is actually very significant because it says, because although, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And we know what happened throughout time. So Cain knew God, even though he wasn't seed, but then throughout time, humanity started losing the knowledge of God. So think about it. It actually doesn't matter how great the volume of something. If you puncture it, eventually you're going to run out. It'll just maybe take longer. So, what happened with, the, with humanity actually in our knowledge of God? We received a little puncture. We sprung a leak. So if once, remember the uh, principle of full measures. Once we were full, so if you fill a glass to the brim with water, it's full. We were full of the knowledge of God. That's what Adam was before the fall. All that he contained was the knowledge of God. Now what happens when there's a leak? Space is created for something else. The moment he considered, when Eve came to him with her will, and he considered it, he sprung a leak space opened up for something else, the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that that space, knowledge of good and evil, that is the space that self will inhabit and fill. Humanity out there without the knowledge of God, all that's filling that space is self. 
people out there think they love their children. Most people love their children for their own sakes. Most people want children so that they don't grow old lonely. Okay? People think they love their dogs. No, the dog exists for itself. That's it. They need someone to see them when they come home. That's the reality of humanity. It's, uh, the entire space is filled with self. Okay, so the futility of the mind. Yes. Okay. Um, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So, all we behold, all we knew, all Adam knew was his image. All, all we saw. But then the incorruptible image of God as sin entered. Why it says they replaced it with the corruptible image of man? Because the moment that death entered, they started changing the eternal person and image and idea of God into something more and more that lined up with our state of corruption. What's corruption? Death entered because of sin. So that thing that was known about, that could be known about God, that was manifest in us, slowly but surely, we went from knowing Him as life, as changing even His image into something that lined up more with ours. And it culminated eventually in man looking at man, and then even changing our idea of eternity, life, power, uh, all of that, authority into something horizontal, other images. But let me tell you something about an idol. Even the idol is about self. That's the thing about idol worship. That idol exists for me to pray to something and believe that I can be blessed. That's the difference between all religions and the truth, true faith according to his true justification and righteousness. Because even pagan Christianity is, has a God, and they focus on their God, but it's about themselves. Okay, so what's the difference between true worship in true faith and everything else? It doesn't matter what kind of idol it is, and it doesn't matter what they make God to be. It's idol worship when a person beholds in a straight line according to faith. So faith is him showing his finished work and his invisible attributes, his eternal, his eternal being. The glory, with other words, the Father, the Son, and the body redeemed in one. It's finished work. He reveals that toward a man. We're supposed to, re to respond in faith, and faith is from point A to point B. There's no returning from point B to point D, or C, or whatever. Okay. So there's a response toward Him, but it's towards eternity. Towards, so we respond, and the end is, I cease to be important here because of what He has finished there. So that's true belief and true worship, true faith. 
Everything else, anything that looks like this is idol worship. I respond A to B, but there must be a reflection back to me. When that happens, it's no longer true worship, but idol worship. Listen carefully. It's very important to understand. Because we've all come from there. So I'm going to pray, but I'm waiting for the response that's going to be about me. So this is what he's talking about here. Okay, so inevitably we started looking at our own image in the God image. Okay. Even for human beings to whom faith will not be revealed, um, just in context to this, it's important to understand that when man was created, just man, human, uh, he was created to be able to respond to a spiritual dynamic, to spirituality. Uh, he was not just created flesh. So even when sin entered and there was this separation, um, and now we know that faith will only be revealed to some, man was still created to be able to respond to the spiritual. And so now, even if there's not a response to faith, there can, can and usually is still a response to a spiritual reality, but an expectation that it will manifest as a physical reality and usually as a benefit, sure. which puts us back to idol worship. So anything that goes into the spiritual with the intention of making it come back in the physical would be idol worship. Whereas faith is a pure response to the spiritual without expecting anything to be sent back my way. It's just towards the finished work. Okay. So remember the treasure principle that we looked at? So we gather up for ourselves treasure because our heart will be there. But what idle faith does, idle worship type of response does, it wants to respond in the spiritual but bring it back to manifest in the physical. We get that. So we watch out for that in our heart's attitude, in our prayers, in our desire, and our worship. If there's a response from God, it's a response from His side, and it's out of relationship, but it's not a, I did something and now it's going to manifest here. Now, if that happens, now for people that see results, it means that they put their, their trust, their faith, their whatever, their response out into the spiritual realm, and something responded in a material, physical manner. See the danger? It's called witchcraft. Okay, so that's how it works. Okay, let's continue. Okay, so now what we've, everything <coughs> that we've just read, because now we're going to start linking, skipping around. So we see from verse 18, we see that Paul does an interesting thing. He's going to take the storyline of creation of humanity from the very beginning. So he's saying that from the very beginning, the invisible attributes of God had been revealed. What may be known of God had been revealed since the creation. Then we know that death entered and slowly but surely humanity started losing the knowledge of God. Okay, now let's go to chapter 3 verse 9. And he writes, what then? Are we better than they? Now why? Okay, so, okay, wait. So, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. 
And we're going to read the rest of this now. So we, I don't know if this has happened to anyone else, but usually in reading chapter 1, when I get to, oh, the, yes, they became futile, and then God gave them over to a debased mind and all that, I think, yeah, that's unbelievers, the sinners. Mm -hmm. They clearly don't, don't you know, respond in faith. They don't have a relationship with God. That's them. I'm luckily here in this two verses, verse 16 and 18, with the gospel of Messiah. But it says, what, so chap, back to chapter 3, verse 9, what then, are we better than they? Not at all. Why? Because it wasn't just a certain number of humanity that lost the knowledge of God. By the time that God found me, I had also lost all the knowledge of God. Humanity as a whole had lost the knowledge of God. And so there wasn't one group that was special that somehow kept on to the knowledge of God. Everyone lost the knowledge of God. And so why is this? Because he says, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, but all that he's doing with both Jews and Greeks is he's saying everyone. They are all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now, last week and the week before, we have been, or for the last few weeks, we've been redefining sin. So not sin, so we don't want to think any longer of sin as, oh, I did this wrong thing, or I did that wrong thing. Sin is not being in, or following, or seeking out, or doing the will of God. So doing anything other than the will of God is sin. Now, <clears throat> so he says, there is none righteous, no, not one, none who understands, none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside, they've together become unprofitable. So in other words, during the time when humanity lost the knowledge of God, you could have a person who has never murdered, never stolen, never did anything wrong, and yet they would still be deemed unrighteous and a sinner because they lost the knowledge of God along with anyone else. And so how could they, how could they be aligned within the will of God? How can you do the will of God if you don't know God, if you don't know the will of God? Okay, so he's creating an equal playing field. So he says, all become unrighteous. Now, let's skip ahead to verse 19. It says, now we know that what, chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay. No. Now, yes? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, go back. Okay. Chapter 2. Back to chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, so just... I'm going to create the, I'm going to um, keep highlighting the thought pattern. So we see that there is the gospel, but then we see that from the beginning, the invisible attributes of God had been made known. But then humanity started losing the knowledge of God, which means that all humanity lost the knowledge of God. So everyone is guilty. Okay. Now, chapter, yes. Okay. Now, forget about us speaking. Listen to what we were reading up till now. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, 
nor was thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greek that they are all under sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none, none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge, those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and long-suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Chapter 3, verse 21. <clears throat> but now the righteousness <clears throat> of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Yahushua HaMashiach, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yahushua, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Exodus. Uh, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. Uh, don't page there. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Should I continue? Mm. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity. Mm. Oh, sorry, I thought you said visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Whom God set forth as a perpetuation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. <clears throat> because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Yahushua. Read it again. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, 
long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Very important to understand that the whole of Romans lines up with this. This is an anchor, a foundation of all things pertaining to the scriptures. Right. Okay. Just read the rest of us. Okay. Uh, chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. For verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Okay. Uh, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist, exist as though they did. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Yahushua HaMashiach, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For whom Chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Chapter 6, verse 5 and 11. To 11. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Messiah Yahushua, our Lord. Chapter 7, verse 1 to 6. Or do you... Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Messiah, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. 
For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay, so did we see that we were held by something in the law? <clears throat> the sinful desires are aroused by the law, but now we are no longer held by it. What does it mean? So, there was through the the knowledge of the uh, the tree of the good, uh, knowledge of good and evil through through the through that fruit that later is manifested as the law of God. So the law of God is is holy and it's good, but it is given so that sin may be shown to be sin. Now it says that we were held by it in the flesh. So there's a bondage and a cord that holds the flesh in bondage, in death. This is very important. <clears throat> so after the fall, God puts everything in place according to His will. Remember it says that <clears throat> no flesh will be justified in His sight. Because of the giving of the law, a bondage, cords, are placed in, uh, put in place by God that will that will bind the flesh in a place where it will never be justified in his sight. Now it says we're no longer held by that. So there was cords that are binding on the flesh. Now we see cords other than that. And we're going to focus on that. Okay. Uh, chapter <coughs> 7, I'm just going to, before we go, so chapter 7 verse 5 and 6, I'm going to read again from Romans. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been de delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay, it's very important this, because um, in what we see in the world, the believing world, is that um, when people cannot seem to walk in the freedom that comes by being resurrected into Messiah, they keep coming back to church leaders or ministers and they want to be delivered. Because they don't understand that what they have been delivered from. See? So that's why they, you always have to have all these ministries that's ministering into healing, healing of the wounds, healing of this, breaking that doing that because we it looks like the world is seeking that deliverance because they just don't understand what we've been delivered from mm -hmm. so it's very important to understand that God himself put in place bondage or cords that will keep the flesh according to the law in a certain place but we've been delivered from that but only we understand that he didn't just lose us and now we're running free there's another side to this picture Okay, Ecclesiastes, <coughs> chapter 4, verse 12, the second part says, A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So now, remember that Paul talks about himself as a bondservant, says we have become slaves to righteousness. So he looses us from the, the cords or the bonds that kept the flesh from ever being justified in the sight of God. Only in resurrection in the Spirit, we are now... Uh, drawn, he says, I will draw you with cords. 
So the drawing of the cords is righteousness. Righteousness, faith, grace, and uh, we'll see that grace and justification is the same working. So there's a threefold cord <clears throat> that he, according to his promise, draws us with. So once we understand how these threefold, how the threefold cords work in coming together to that finished work, then we can allow ourselves to be drawn by the cords of God and the Spirit into His perfect will. And we, uh, if we understand that we've been freed, delivered, delivered from the cords that draws us back. Remember we spoke about the cords in the flesh that keeps drawing you back in the flesh. All right. So now, let's continue with that picture so that we can get to the final key to walking out this freedom. We're going to a key. So let's be putting the gospel in place. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You'll see that that links, because we just ended with, we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay, let's continue. But <coughs> if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Messiah. <coughs> but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies in their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, so does it say that even um, until today, so he's writing this on this side <coughs> of the crucifixion and resurrection within the milieu of the dispensation of grace. But he's saying, even after the cross and resurrection, the reading, in the reading of the law of Moses, the veil still lies on the hearts. It can still come over the face. Did we see that? Okay. So now we have two things. We're seeing that the, uh, the ministry of condemnation, that was the law, had glory. 
So the glory had had value. It had weight because glory is also connected to the armor of God, the mm. breastplate. Remember? So now, if glory is that, and the ministry of condemnation or death, as the law is called, because the ministry of the law was to the flesh, and the law was given to lead to faith. And faith becomes a response to the spiritual that leads the setting free from the flesh uh, to the walking in the spirit. That's the process. Okay. Now he's saying here, that in the uh, reading of the law, the veil can still come down. Okay, now we did talk about this. Who is the one that lifts the veil off the face of the bride? The bridegroom. The bride doesn't usually lift her own, does she? Okay. Now, so there was a function, and there is a function for the law. Because the law has to confine sin and death into the flesh. He comes. He's the one that lifts the veil. Okay. Now, so that we can respond. Can we carry on from here? Mm. Chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now there's a correlation here, a very important note to take. He says the God of this age blinds people. But he has just spoken about the blinding of the veil. He says if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. This is very important. These pieces of information is very important for us to understand how we have to understand the world around us, the working of God and the working of the enemy. Because we have to know his strategy. Mm -hmm. So what did the enemy do with Eve? He evoked God's commandment. Spoke to you about it. It says, did God really say you're not allowed to eat from the tree, fruit of the trees of the garden? He said, no, it's only this tree that he said we're not allowed to eat from. He said, she said because we will surely die. He said, no, you're not, you won't surely die. You'll become like God. Okay, so what is it that the enemy uses, the, the ruler of this world, to get to those that are perishing? He wants to veil them. Now, if the veil is the law, what is he going to use? In our daily lives, although we have walked free from the law, not rejecting the law, because God, uh, um, Paul very clearly writes that the law of faith establishes the law, we understand that we will now walk it out by righteousness, by the Spirit, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in our daily thinking, our feeling, our responding to God, we are learning to stay on that road of righteousness by being aware of the fact that the ruler of this world is going to try and veil us in some way concerning the law. That makes sense. Now if the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, Do we see how important this is to understand? So that's why we are continuously looking again at the aspects of righteousness, faith, and grace. Uh, grace and justification being the same action. So justification, grace, faith, hope, peace, righteousness, and um, those aspects of uh, the, the gospel. Because he says to them, 
uh, you know, I'm longing to come to you, uh, believers in Rome, so that uh, you know I might impart to you a spiritual gift, and so that we may be established concerning or through our mutual the faith. mutual faith that we have. What is this? So we're going for being established in these things, so that we can no longer waver when we are approached by any aspect of the law. Therefore, we can freely look at the Scriptures and all God's sayings and commandments uh, from the positioning. So it's going to be a, a question of positioning. Resurrected, living from eternal resurrection into this life, or otherwise going into the flesh, looking from the flesh through the law at God. See the difference? Okay. Now the problem is with being veiled by the law is that the person that's looking at the law and veiled by the law is not going to continue in the law. That's the secret. Listen to what I'm saying. It's the same always from the beginning of the history of Israel. When we are faced with the truth of who God is, as he writes in the first chapters of Romans, because of what may be known of God is manifest in us. And when we come to the knowledge of God, but we don't continue according to His eternal attributes, we waver on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. With other words, what is right, what is wrong, and we try out of works of the flesh or consciousness, <coughs> respond to His justification, His righteousness, <coughs> what happens? The results are always the same. Although the person will consider the law, they won't continue in the law. Now, only one of two responses are going to happen. There's a mechanism that's activated in us. And this is where we're going, and we're going to get there within the next few minutes. Let's finish these ones quickly. Where were we? Okay, let's finish these ones quickly. Okay, verse 5 and 6 as well. We, for we do not preach ourselves, but Messiah Yahushua, the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Yahushua's sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Yahushua HaMashiach. Okay, do we get this? Oh, okay. Are you guys still able to continue a little bit more? Okay. Verse 5 and 6. Of the same chapter 4. So I just read, yeah. Just okay, so it's, it says it's the same God that commanded light to shine into the darkness, through the darkness. Okay, so Yahweh speaks the name of Yahushua into the life of all the person that is dead in their sin. This is how it happens. What is the name Yahushua? The salvation of Yahweh. What is Yahweh? I will be what I will be. I am what I am. The beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. So literally when he approaches and he speaks the name of his son, as he's commanded light to shine through, dark, through darkness, we start responding to everything that's revealed in the creation uh, story. Everything that can be known of God, life and death. That's what we start to respond to. Okay. Continue with that. Okay, verse 16, still in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 16 to 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, 
yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Continue from there. I don't want to expound on it. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 8, from verse 7 to 13. <clears throat> For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Here he's referring to that looking into the law. Those that even coming by the law, that's supposed to be coming by the law to faith, that are veiled by the law, they do not continue. Even the Israelites that by the first covenant could not continue and did not continue. This is why he makes a promise of a new covenant to them. Okay. Now we see that the covenant promise is to the house of Judah okay, and the house of Israel. So it is a specific promise of covenant. But listen to the rest. Yes. Okay, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. There, at that point, he goes from the covenant promise that continues from the day of Pentecost all the way through, He's now veering into the thousand-year reign. Okay, when he says that no one shall teach his brother. We've got to get this, always have this very clear in our minds because there's some and many these days that are going after the drawing of lawlessness, the son of perdition, that are now starting to say, yes, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be, um, taught by another man anymore so the fivefold ministry mandate is rejected the authority of the body is rejected because <clears throat> they're quoting that and saying the bible says no one will teach his brother mm. when they're actually looking at a prophecy that only pertains to the thousand year reign because in ephesians chapter 4 that is where the fivefold mandate is is reiterated and still um, established and this is after the day of Pentecost. So we've got to get this right. So we see there's a promise. The promise was made to Israel, to the both houses. Then it speaks about a certain thing that will happen. He will write these laws on their hearts, place it in their minds. So this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And um, this is not the veiling law, the ministry of death. This is the prevailing law that was ministered to Abraham. Okay. Okay, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Where are we now? Back in Exodus. So he's now again referring his covenant promise, taking it all the way through the thousand year reign, 
and bringing it all the way back to him um, manifesting his character and his name to Moses. That becomes the defining scripture for us to always um, adhere to when it comes to our uh, uh, idea, our, 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 our thinking, our responding to who God is. We never veer from that. So he brings it all the way through the thousand year reign, all the way back. Why? Because that promise is made according to election and predestination that the world has discarded and um, don't want. Because then the thousand year reign, the work is finished and the elect is the elect. The reign is the reign. Those that are and, uh, uh, raised in the first resurrection is reigning on earth. Those that will be raised in the second re resurrection will be resurrected dead. The judgment has to be finished because there was a first resurrection. Thousand year reign all the way through back. This is from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Glory being the Holy Spirit, the sum total of the Father, the Son and the body in manifestation now according to His finished work. Sounds like a mouthful. We keep saying it, so by now you should be able to hear it. Okay. Right, continue. Okay, chapter 9 in Hebrews, verse 11 to 15. <clears throat> but Messiah came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. Okay, very important. Everything we just said, right? So he's taking the prophecy all the way through. From the, the time when the, it looks like the, prophet, the, the promise is made to, to Israel alone. Before, and there is a promise made to, to Abraham already of the bringing in of the Gentiles. In him all the nations will be blessed. Then the blessedness of Abraham comes upon the Gentiles. Now he's taking this word all the way through the thousand year reign. He's coming all the way, all the way back here. Read it again. Now listen to it. But Messiah came as high priest of the good things to come. Okay, when Messiah came, so he came as Yahushua, he's going to return as Messiah. Right. But he came as high priest, he became high priest when he died on the cross, all the sin was placed into his flesh, he, he goes into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, with the final sacrifice. Okay. But he came as the high priest of the good things to come. Again, a pointing forward, the same as faith, pointing towards New Jerusalem, a pointing forward to our true existence and identity that we should live out of into this world. Because we have been set free from the flesh and resurrected in the Spirit. Do we see how this fits together? Now, if He came as a high priest of those things to come, how we cannot and we don't want to make Him a high priest of the things that are. It's included in those things, but his focus and his purpose, his ministry, is not about my little thing. If I start responding to him as high priest of the high priest of things to come, and I live and pray according to the eternal finished work, and me in that, the sanctification that I have already been sanctified, and being sanctified here, that, then see, we, the whole thing changes. So we also, in our response to Him, even in confession and repentance, even in um, all those uh, things that pertain to us work, uh, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we respond to Him as the high priest of the things to come. 
Friede Westerberg. Uh, okay, but Messiah came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So there was a time when we were dead in our sin because we were under the transgressions of the first covenant, all of us. Because it says that all have sinned, and the only way that all have sinned is that the law in some way is um, applicable to all human beings. Right. Okay. Now because of the sprinkling and so forth, we are set free from that. We get that. It's very important to understand. Now we have another inheritance. Okay. Keep that inheritance in mind. I think we'll close with that idea. Okay. We have another inheritance. Now, wh what is that inheritance? And did we have an inheritance before? Okay, carry on. Okay, okay. Uh, verse 24 in chapter 9. For Messiah has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Then let's go to chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Yahushua HaMashiach once for all. Sanctification means separation. It means by that will, the will of the Father, His completion within the will of the Father. We have been separated unto God once for all. Okay? Okay. Uh, same chapter, chapter 10, verse 15 to 17. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after He had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Uh, verse 36 to 39. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. <coughs> yeah. Okay. okay, now let's go back to Romans. Now why is this important, that drawing back? Uh, we've established where, what he has freed us from, where he has taken us. 
But now we're back in our lives today and next week. And the purpose of us looking at all of these eternal truths and how it works is so that we can work out with fear and trembling how does the eternal truth become my everyday reality? How do I, through understanding the, what the scripture says, see myself better positioned on that road of righteousness so that we can be established? Right. Yeah, this would. Mm. Can I read that? Yeah. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 16 first. Sorry. The very last three verses. Okay, so now keep in mind what we read in chapter 1, and then what he's ending this letter with. So from verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Yahushua HaMashiach, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Yahushua HaMashiach forever. So he concludes the letter, everything that we looked at now, from the beginning to now, by saying this, through this you can be established. See why... We are looking at the important aspects of it. Through this you can be established. But he says it's according to a mystery that was hidden through time. And everything that we were looking at, that was part of that mystery. Part of that mystery. For some reason, even today, in 2019, worldwide, people are still struggling to understand the mystery. Uh, this mysterious work of his eternal will being fulfilled right in the beginning. And that now from the time that he calls us, he's leading us according to his finished work in us uh, on a path <laughs> of righteousness. And he's imparting to us as much vision and understanding as he can. He wrote everything about the plan in the book of life. And uh, our name's written in the book of life from the foundations of the earth. He gave us all of the mysteries, black on white, and yet we need the Holy Spirit while we position ourselves in the Spirit to reveal these things to us. Because the moment that we veer back into the flesh, some part of us wants to go back to reading the law. And we become veiled. It says that it blinds us and the heart becomes darkened. Well, on the road of righteousness, we can safely look into the perfect law of liberty. Which... Um, contains that which was promised to Abraham all through the commandments of God right through to the law of faith. Does it make sense? So there's a safe place where we can look at all of this if we look at it from the right perspective, yeah. from the eternal knowledge of his justification out of his finished work. So we see that we don't have to reject anything we can embrace all of it, have this, because it's going to write it on our hearts, but we look from the writing of our hearts to the writing on stones. Not mm. to the writing on the stones to try and govern the heart. Mm. So, this is just the safe walking. But, there's another dynamic. One last thing and then we finish. <laughs> right. Okay, chapter 7. 
Okay, chapter 7, verse 5 in Romans says, <clears throat> For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. When we were in our flesh, remember now, we have the law given that is like cords binding us so that no flesh can ever be justified in his sight. Now it's saying that the law arouses sinful passions in the flesh. Mm. So go from a neutral state of being. Neutral. So we're born literally neutral. Maybe. Neutral. Not sinless because no law has been given. And remember we said that the judgment is not a matter of sinless or sinned, according to right or wrong. <coughs> judgment is a matter of righteousness. So if a person was born all alone without mother or father, in the middle of a forest somewhere, never encountered any other person, has no law, does this mean he has to go to heaven? No. Because it's the imputing of righteousness, according to faith, that bring, according to his justification, that it's, that's what brings eternal life. So you see, it's very important for us to understand that just the neutral, the neither sin nor, 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 nor sinlessness, whatever that might be, because it cannot be holiness, because holiness only comes by separation. See? So that neutral. So even if we, in our daily walk, after we have been separated from the flesh, set free from the law, the ministry of condemnation, separated unto Messiah, we find ourselves in a neutral place. The moment that we are agitated by the ruler of this world, who wants to veil us, to respond to any form of the knowledge of good and evil law, as defined by the law. It says it arouses. So something raises, rises up in us, our being. Interesting. So we can go from neutral, not having yet a sinful thought or motivation or inspiration or inclination, but the moment that a circumstance or a trigger is presented that has to push us into the direction of the law, something is aroused. Sinful passions are aroused. Now, sinful passions, we tend to think, oh, it's those bad things. Sinful passion can be, I will be the just one. That can be a sinful passion. Being more right than everybody else. That's the easy one to stumble over, isn't it? Well, I will be the saviour. I see a need and I will jump right in. <laughs> well, I will be the healer. Mm -hmm. I will be the answer. I will be love to the loveless, <laughs> the unloved. Those are the nice uh, things that the law can arouse in us. All those seemingly righteous deeds, but it's done by the law. 
moment I want to be good. Instead of just keeping my eyes on the road, like the Samaritan, and if I encounter need on the road, then I will do what needs to be done according to the righteousness of Messiah. See the difference? Slight difference. Okay, so something happens. The law can arouse sinful passions in us. Okay? Who would have thought? Yes. Then the other scripture. Okay. Then we are going to connect this back in chapter 1 with verse 18. That says... For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Two mechanisms that we can practically start to recognize in our lives. We want to notice when something in us, a thought, an old memory, uh, aggravation, uh, trigger, causes us to suppress the truth. Who God is, and the arousal by the law of sinful passions. See how that works. So, there's the, remember the baseline, all those things, remaining in truth. So, why is this important? Because walking the road of righteousness should not be a great exertion of energy and effort. No great focus on one particular aspect or focal point of all the truth that remains the truth. So that we can watch out for the suppressing of the truth. So what does it look like practically? Okay, so a normal person that encounters the reality of life and death has immediately to consider or acknowledge the fact that it is by sin that death entered. And it is by Messiah's resurrection that life is given. Doesn't matter if the, how they understand the gospel, doesn't matter how they understand the Lord, doesn't matter where they come from. Well, chapter 1, basically, so we're coming back to our study of chapter 1. We did all of this so that we can see chapter 1 in its proper light. So we will now continue to say how they did not retain the knowledge of God, and so started veering off to other images, other ideas, other forms of righteousness, suppressing the truth, and God Himself gave them over to the baseness of their flesh. And then all the other consequences. But it goes through that. As an example of that, because there's envy, strife, wrath, malice, all of those things also included. It's not about homosexuality, it's just there was a slippery slope. Yeah. Okay, and then we cycle all the way back to, through Romans, back to the very truth that it starts off with the gospel. Okay, so go have a look at Romans again with a new focus on chapter 1. And then through the week, start looking at the righteousness of God being... That which keeps us safe, it impacts the entire mind, the being. <coughs> then pay attention to the suppressing of the truth in any way. We all know what it feels like. 
and the arousal by the law of sinful passions. When those two mechanisms start working together, it's like a, what they call it, a high pressure front where storm starts developing. Same process within ourselves. The suppressing of the truth, the arousal of the passions of the flesh by the law. Just on that, mm. um, the, the mechanism is quite interesting because the one can influence the other. So it's not just that it's working in one way. So the suppressing of the truth can cause the arousal by the law of sinful passions and vice versa. What we want to, because this is actually a very big key, um, because he said the road of righteousness is not supposed to be, it's not actually supposed to be that much of an effort. So if we do find ourselves practically in a situation where we sense the arousal by the law, then simply the answer for that would be not to start suppressing the truth. So instead of going like, no, you calm down, just to behold the truth, make sure you're not suppressed, you don't start suppressing the truth, because that would be the, the go-to of the mechanism, and vice versa. So the moment we start suppressing truth, you can be sure that the arousal of the sinful passions will start happening. Um, so just, yeah, spend some time thinking about uh, how that works and how that actually simplifies our walk a lot because it means that we don't have to be pulling ourselves out of this hole and out of that hole. It's a very quick response that we can start implementing uh, to remain in the truth. Uh, amen.